Hi there. This is City Book and Company, a chatty little podcast that dishes and dotes on the upstarts, icons, dreamers, and doers of Houston, the most fascinating city in America. I'm Jeff Grimion, the editor of Houston City Book Magazine and HoustonCityBook.com, and I'm your host. Welcome to City Book and Company, and this is part two of our fascinating conversation with the Rice Professor Stephen Kleinberg. He is the author of the new book, Prophetic City, and he has been tracking and monitoring demographic trends in Houston for 40 years. He actually has produced a body of work that is unique in all of the country. There's no other city that's been monitored the way that Stephen Kleinberg has tracked Houston, and we're going to talk a lot more with him about all of that. We are coming to you today from the Giorgetti, which is a beautiful new residential condo building in the Upper Kirby section of Houston. This building is phenomenal. It is a partnership between the Giorgetti Furniture Company, which is a 125-year-old high-end artisan furniture making company in Italy, and they have partnered with Houston developers to build this incredible building. It's the first time they've ever embarked on any kind of a partnership of this kind. And it is a gorgeous place. And we are in the model home taping today. And it couldn't be a more beautiful place to do this. Also welcoming back Luke Brauner as my guest co-host. Hey, Luke. How's it going? Going well. Thanks so much for all your help with this project. And thank you for guest. This is the, this is the Fourth time by my count time, that yeah. you've guest hosted. You're a, a great sidekick. Maybe I'm your sidekick. I don't know. We'll <laughs> let people decide. But honored to have you here. Of all the many things that you do, and you, you're you responsible for a number of cool podcasts, the one that I'm always kind of the most intrigued by is 30 Pop. Yeah. And you were telling me a little while ago that, uh, um, I mean, what you do on the show, well, tell people what you do with 30 Pop. Yeah, so uh, you'll, you'll describe it better than me. 30 Pop is just a nostalgia podcast, like a retro pop culture nostalgia podcast. Basically, every single week, I look back exactly 30 years of what was happening in pop culture. So throughout 2021, we've been looking at the year 1991, one week at a time. It's very fun. And what pop culture moments have you explored? Oh man, everything. So the show started in February of 2019. And so we were looking at 89 and we started out with cast members from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, from Lean on Me that were on the show, from uh, Uncle Buck. I mean, kind of everything. You know, we not at the end of 2020, I had the chance over the course of several weeks to interview many of the cast members from Home Alone, which was really fun. It's, you know, just lots of that sort of, but it's not just that. It's also, you know, musicians or sports, fashion, kind of whatever was going on in pop culture. That's a, that's what we're always lingering on. Who did you talk to from Home Alone? From Home Alone. So characters, I spoke to a uh, character named Officer, Officer Balzac. He was the one who was on the phone with uh, with the mom, you know, from France and he had the donut. I'm in seventh grade today. I'm laughing at the man's, at the character's yeah, name. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's a really fun interview. He's, <laughs> he, uh, he's the same actor that played the like upstairs neighbor in friends and he's been on all kinds of stuff. Anyway, talk to him, talk to the, the guy that played buzz, you know, the older brother, uh, actually all of Kevin's siblings, but one from the movie. So buzz and, um, so that's Devin Rattray, who's still a phenomenal, very, very funny actor. He was in, he's in a bunch of like, a lot of comedies that are still coming out. And so Angela Gothels, I spoke to, she played uh, the sister Lenny. I spoke to uncle Frank, the one that calls him a little jerk. You know, it was just, it was a whole lot of the kind of surrounding supporting cast members from, from the movie, which is one of my favorite movies period. So I loved doing that. But 
how do you find these people? How do you, that's, that's a project in itself, right? It's a lot of work. Yeah. So, uh, I use IMDB. There's a pro version of IMDB where you can go on and get people's managers and publicists and stuff. And so it's a lot of emailing. Well, it's, it's God's work, I think, because it's a, <laughs> it's a very interesting concept for a show. It's a good show and you're good at it. I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Let's get back to our conversation with Steven Kleinberg. We will do that right after a brief break to hear from a much valued sponsor. So I noticed my electricity bill was getting out of hand. It was time to do that thing all we Houstonians have to do from time to time. You know what I mean. You have to go through the hassle of switching to a new provider to get a better deal. And then over time, the prices creep up on you again after the contract period ends. And then you have to do the whole thing over again, all over again, sometime later. It's maddening. Thank goodness a friend told me about Real Simple Energy. This is a new company, Houston-based, started by two friendly local young professionals, Trent and Paul. They're both around 40. And what they do is find you the cheapest deals, the cheapest deals for you. They present you three options, one of which will always be green if that's important to you. You pick, and they handle the busy work of getting you switched over. You will save a ton of cash. Most folks save around 500 bucks a year. I actually think I'm going to save a little bit more than that. And the best part, when your contract ends and your prices start sneaking up on you, they get more cheap options in front of you again and do the whole process again and take care of you getting switched over the whole nine yards. Nobody else does what they do. You will never pay for electricity again, never hassle with providers, only deal with real simple. Set it and forget it. Never worry about this stuff again and have peace of mind. Don't let the big providers take advantage of you anymore. Sign up and start saving today at realsimpleenergy.com. And if you use promo code CityBook, you'll get an additional 50 bucks off your first bill. I'm really very much a booster of Houston. I always try to, when I write about the city and its people and, and where it's been and where it's going, I tend to be a bit Pollyanna and celebrate the good parts. And there are good parts. But you're very balanced. You're very honest about the sort of warts and all. And uh, you quoted something in the book that made me, made me laugh. This is early in the book. But you quote a, a person named uh, uh, Frank Putnam, um, who was writing about Houston at the turn of the century. And he says, uh, this city had nearly, if not quite a hundred excellent churches, but had very few sewers, less than one half of the necessary water service, and only a small percentage of scattering sidewalks. I gained the impression that while the people of Houston were admirably equipped for living in heaven, they were rather poorly equipped for living in Houston. <laughs> and it was shortly after that that Houston was well known to be at that time, and I don't think I realized this, but around 1900, uh, was the fastest growing city in the country in 1900. This is right around the time Mr. Putman makes these observations. So it seems like we have quite a history of being a boomtown, quite a history of doing something right at times but also quite a history of sort of stumbling through challenges and not always besting them. What's your sense of Houston as we're moving forward in its ability to meet its... Ch you've identified the challenges you, you return often to education. What is your sense of our capacity to meet these challenges and to win this game? Yeah, great, Jeff. Great question. I mean, so I, I, end up the, I end the book saying the jury is out, right? It's not yet clear that Houston is really prepared to do the things that it's going to need to do to position itself for prosperity in this very different world of the 21st century. But Houston has a tremendous amount going for it. I mean, we, 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 we are a boom town. I mean, uh, we have, we have, we have, you know, 
God did not intend a major city to be built on this crummy, crummy uh, mosquito-infested flatland, <laughs> isolated from the rest of the country. Houston has a history of uh, of seizing the opportunities, of recognizing the new the new challenges, and seeing the possibilities, and making the investments that we need. And also, of course, a, a lot of luck that Houston has had in the past. And now it depends more. It's, it seems to me. One, you know, there's that saying, nothing fails like success. We were so successful with an ideology of minimum attention to public spaces. A city, as we said, world famous for having imposed the least amount of controls on development. Now recognizing if we're going to make it, we need to look to ourselves. We need to make the investments collectively. We need to make sure that the, that education, which was never important in Houston or in Texas, right? You know, the big Texas fortunes were made from land, cotton, timber, cattle, sugar, oil. The sources of wealth in the 21st century will have less to do with natural resources and more to do with human resources. This is a new reality, but Houston is used to sort of recognizing, okay, we've got to do things differently. The world is changing. And it's hard not to be relatively optimistic about Houston. And the surveys, I think, show that too, that you're watching a city increasingly prepared to to grapple with these new realities and to make the decisions. But it's interesting. I mean, it does depend on, on our collective willingness, especially those of us who've been extraordinarily successful in Houston, to make investments to ensure that this next generation, disproportionately poor and disproportionately African-American Latino, are going to be prepared to succeed in, in, the, in the new economy. And that's where the, the, the jury is out. Uh, on the other hand, we are falling in love with each other, marrying, making multiracial babies and sort of uh, embracing the diversity and, and celebrating the, uh, you know, Houston, the place that people who come here as, as, as Luke and I did sort of reluctantly will come for a couple of years, discovering this is just a really Me too, same story. <laughs> story for all of us. So there's, there's room for optimism, but, it, but, but ultimately it's going to depend on us, depend on the people of Houston understanding and being ready and willing to make the investments to ensure that we get pre example is preschool education overwhelmingly in our surveys you may remember that 70% of our survey this year said I'm in favor to, uh, to of raising local taxes in order to provide universal preschool education for every child in Houston universal preschool education people are recognizing that you know one of the moments of truth in education is third grade reading if you're not reading a third grade level in third grade you are four times more likely to drop out of high school and the single most powerful predictor whether you can read at third grade level is did you start kindergarten ready to learn to read and rich kids in houston start kindergarten one and a half to two years ahead of poor kids that and that's when the brain is growing that's when the greatest investment and return on investment occurs People in Houston are, are more prepared than ever before to say it is critically important to make investments in preschool education. We're not yet doing it. We are, we are less, less successful than either San Antonio or Dallas in ensuring that children from poor families have access to quality preschool education. Both Dallas and San Antonio are doing a better job than Houston. They have found ways to raise the monies to ensure that they're, they're, that a half cent on our sales tax is dedicated to to, to uh, improving access to, to preschool education. We rely on volunteers. We rely on on programs that that don't have the same sort of funding under, under underneath them that can ensure 
the uh, ability of these kids to succeed as they get into into elementary school and beyond. And so, so it's we understand these issues in Houston, but we're not yet willing, it seems, to make the investments that are going to be necessary to to address those issues successfully. Dr. Klumberg, I'm curious. You know, I, I think of Houston as a city that really understands resilience and knows how to recover, unfortunately, because we've been through so much as a city. And I'm curious what your thoughts are if you were to prophesy looking forward about Houston at a time right now where, as we hopefully are approaching the end of the really difficult part of this global pandemic, and especially that's affected the U.S. so dramatically, what do you imagine resilience looking like moving forward in Houston? Well, again, there's a clear awareness. Uh, One of the questions we asked in our survey was, do you agree or disagree? It is virtually certain that the Houston area will experience more severe storms in the next 10 years as we experienced in the last 10. 73% said, yes, I believe that. I agree with that. So there's a real awareness of of necessity to address it. We're we're in the midst of of an energy transition that is going to be absolutely fascinating. Houston is the oil and gas capital of the world. Can it become the energy capital as we move into the low-carbon future that is Absolutely critical if we're going to control the amount of flooding and storms that are that are affecting the city. So there's, a, again, a beautiful example of a much greater awareness than ever before of the need to address these issues. Still difficulty in, in making it happen, in, in buying up housing that is in flood-prone areas, of, of ensuring resilience, of, of preparing for the storm surge that everybody thinks is going to come at some point in the next 25 to 30 years that will devastate the, the, the petrochemical plants along the ship channel. Uh, are we, can we make, the, can we gather the money together to make the investments to ensure that if a storm surge comes, it's not going to have devastating effects on the city? That's hard to do, right? To raise money and taxes for something that may or may not occur 10 or 20 years in the future. And Houston is is aware of this in a way it wasn't before. It's not yet doing it. So it, it may be able to do it. And we're beginning to have more and more serious measures of how to address this the, these issues. The, the, the surveys show a, a sea change in the general public's understandings of the importance of global warming and its effects and, and the belief that, this, that global warming is caused primarily by human activities rather than by natural climate cycles, an awareness that we have to address these issues, uh, and, and, and some beginnings of actual action. But that's going to be the test for us. Uh, Houston's future is going to depend on us in a way that has never been as true before. Houston's prosperity depended on oil and gas in the 20th century. It's going to depend on each of us playing a role in making investments and supporting new new developments and voting for candidates who understand and and, and appreciate the challenges of the 21st century, uh, and and uh, let's see how that how that plays out. But there is much more awareness than there ever was before of the of the vulnerability of Houston to to, cl- to climate changes and to storm surges and to sea level rises. Uh, and and we've, flooding has always been a problem in Houston from its beginnings, uh, but it's but if we it's this combination. Houston is maybe more affected than any other city in America by climate change and by the necessity to reduce the climate effects of burning of fossil fuels and to, and and build the resiliency that can protect Houston as 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 we go forward. Because if we don't handle it correctly. 
it will undercut our primary industry, right? We have to be prepared to go wherever the industry is going next. As my friend Bobby Tudor puts it, you probably know Bobby very well. Bobby talks about a reckoning that's coming in the energy business. He believes we're ready for the reckoning. Do you? Yes. And you can see it. We've fought against believing in climate change for a long time in the city. Uh, but Bobby made a powerful speech as coming in as a new president of the Greater Houston Partnership. He, the transition is underway. Either we lead that transition and we have the technologies and we have the industries and we have the know-how to do that, or we're going to be left behind. The transition is occurring. It has to occur. Uh, and and we, it's clear that, that, that that's where we're headed. And, and Exxon and Chevron, the two big oil companies in Houston in America, have been much slower than BP or Total or, or – uh, or Shell, European companies, in recognizing the necessity for moving rapidly out of fossil fuels. And Houston and you know, Texas is the Saudi Arabia of wind energy. We have incredible capacities for solar energy. We, can, we have the technologies for harnessing all of this. We can lead the way. But it's going to require of the oil and gas companies that were 80% of the Houston economy in the the 1970s and 80s. It's about 35% of the Houston economy today to be able to say, we we know where they are. We we bought up these oil reserves. We know where they are. We're going to leave them in the ground because we we can't burn them successfully without without contributing to global warming. And we're going to lead the way in, in solar and, and, and wind energy and, and energy conservation and, and, and moving toward the electric uh, electrification of, of vehicles uh, and, and transforming the, the basis for the Houston economy. The other big basis for Houston's future is, is of course, the greatest medical complex on earth. Houston has a, is, is, is positioning itself to be the third coast for the life sciences along with Boston and San Francisco. We have the ION and the and and the venture capital internet or, or ecosystem developing in Houston, uh, where before all of our venture capital was based on oil and gas. Now it's a much more variegated and high tech opportunities. You can see the the new Houston taking shape, but it's going to call on all of us to make those investments to free ourselves from the thralls of the past and to embrace the new realities and challenges of the future. You mentioned the importance of voting for the right candidates as we look towards the future of Houston. As a person with such a depth of knowledge about uh, the people of Houston, I'm curious if uh, you you seem to me like you would make a great candidate. Any political aspirations at all? Uh, No, (laughs) thank you. I'd much rather criticize it from outside. (laughs) But uh, you're right. I mean, our politics are going to be very important who we vote for, the quality of people who are in office, and their ability to recognize that they have a responsibility in the Texas legislature to build the Texas future and not just uh, reward the people who help to put them into office, but to really lead the way is is going to be interesting to see. And and the politics of Houston and and Texas are really interesting. It's a powerful reminder that this is not a red state, blue state phenomenon across the country. It's urban versus rural. And so you've got in, in Texas the four little pockets of blue, right? Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, and, and, and Austin, and, and Houston, and then red all, everywhere else on this, in the state, except down the, at the border. 
but it's also true across the country. Lexington, Kentucky, is one of the one of the bluest cities in the in America, and you've got uh, you, you've got a, a remarkably red state in which it's located. So so it's it's we're all sort of struggling with what's the best combination of resources and investments to to uh, help move the city and the and the state forward in, in effective ways. Politics will matter more than ever, and it's now. And, and this deeply red state is now increasingly, as we've seen, a, a purple state, maybe moving toward blue. But, and, and Georgia is a very powerful example of what may be coming as these very red southern states come to reflect more, more, more fully the, the composition and the, and the challenges of America as a whole. With interest rates being as low as they are, like so many other Americans, I recently refinanced my home. I shopped around a lot of the big national mortgage companies and the big banks, and I thought I'd do myself the favor of checking out a local Houston-based company, too. I was delighted when Envoy Mortgage not only found the best deal for me, but made it all so easy. Nice Houston folks held my hand through the entire process, most of which I was able to do from my house. It was convenient because you can automatically connect your bank statements, your tax records, and your income documentation right from your phone or your tablet or your laptop. You don't have to worry all the time about how it's going as the process goes along because you get updated on each step of the process and receive video guides and helpful articles along the way. And it's pretty darn fast. Envoy's loan origination and underwriting is all done under one roof, which means your loan moves quickly. Envoy can help you whether you're buying a new home or refinancing. They even have special programs for first-time home buyers and veterans. Envoy Mortgage wants you to love your mortgage experience. Check them out at envoymortgage.com and tell them Jeff from CityBook sent you. And now back to our show. I want to ask you a question that I um, I was I remember sitting down with Anise. You mentioned Anise Parker earlier. I went to her office and interviewed her in her first few days in office, and here we have the first openly gay mayor of a major city uh, in office, and Houston picked her. But and I I asked her because in some ways that would be you would think that that's that's quite progressive, right? I just asked her straightforward: Is Houston a progressive city? And she had a difficult time answering that question. I remember all these years later, she said, the, the, the long and the short of it was she said, sort of. <laughs> What's your answer? Is Houston a progressive city? Houston is, is uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's more progressive than it is traditionalistic. And you see that in, 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 in you know, in one of the striking findings in our surveys and nationally has been the sea change in attitudes of gay rights. Right, so a question that's sitting in favor opposed to allowing homosexuals to legally adopt children was 19% when we first asked the question in 1991, now 62%. I mean, just every year, more and more recognition that uh, people are, are, are gay not because they're, they're trying to make the rest of us uncomfortable, but because it's a part of the natural human variation. And, and just as we become increasingly comfortable with living in a world where not everybody's going to look like me, I'm also more comfortable in a world where people, not everybody has the same proclivities as me. And, and so that has changed. But on, on, on attitudes toward abortion rights, it hasn't changed at all. But what's striking there is this, uh, it's not 
you know, 60% say, I believe abortion is morally wrong, but 65% say, I am opposed to a law that would make it more difficult for a woman to obtain an abortion. That ability to say, I believe it's wrong, but a woman has to make that decision herself. I believe it's wrong, but I can imagine people being caught in circumstances where that's the only viable option. And, and it's a woman's body that, that is at stake, and, and it's only she who has a, the right to, to make that decision. That's the power. That's, that says we're not a traditionalistic city. We're, 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 we're a city that, that understands and recognizes the complexity of the human condition. We're a city that, that push comes to shove, is more progressive than, than one might have expected, uh, but is still struggling with, as all of America is, with 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 these 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 new realities. I mean, it's a, it's it's that's why again I keep saying how very interesting it is to watch this all evolve in Houston. So we're not a liberal city, but a progressive city maybe is a, a better way to think about it. It's it's uh, we're, we're suspicious still of government, right? We don't like government doing things, uh, and that's a challenge because we need government to do things today. And, and, and the public has changed to some degree along those lines, too. Question that said, for example, uh, do you think that, that welfare benefits uh, – there's so many questions we have. Do you think that most people receiving welfare benefits are really in need of help, or are they taking advantage of the system? And the percent who said they're really in need of help has grown consistently and significantly across the years of these surveys. Uh, and And – uh, that that ability to recognize uh, that uh, or which of these things closes your feelings about the government government has uh, should take action to reduce income differences between rich and poor, or government should or should, there are many things that government should do. Uh, I'm sorry, it was a question about the role of government, or is government trying to do too many things that should be left to individuals and businesses. And percent saying government has to do more to address our, the problems that we face in this country has also gone up. Still, the majority say government should be left to individuals and businesses, but a, a shift going on in the general public toward a recognition that there is an affirmative role of government in addressing the critical new issues that we face in the 21st century. And so I think it is fair to say the jury is out. It's it's uh, there's enormous opportunities. If Houston can't do it, it's hard to see Los Angeles or Miami or Chicago doing a better job. This is this is Houston has, is can position itself as a model for what all of America can be in the 21st century, or it can become less and less viable and less and less competitive, depending on what we collectively do in terms of the addressing the. These remarkable converging revolutions that have made the 21st century a different place than most of us thought it was going to be 25 and 30 years ago. And so that's what makes, I think, this, this time so interesting. And um, you know, I, I want to stick around here. I want to see how we deal with these issues. One of my personal trainers several years ago turned 25. And I was thinking, why am I jealous? I don't want to be 25 again. But I want to be here for the next 50 years. I want to watch how we collectively address these issues and, and, and see whether we've, we've, we've found the courage and the conviction and the capacity to really ensure that Houston does the things it needs to do to position itself for prosperity. So you, you, you guys, you young guys will have to take <laughs> How old are you? Do you mind if I ask how, your age? You don't want to know. 
<laughs> I was born in 19, I was born in 1940. I'm 80 years old. Congratulations. A milestone. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. What's the future of the surveys? I mean, you're, you're so you're going to keep doing them, right? Well, our, our promise to the Kinder Foundation that made this big $15 million gift to endow the Kinder Institute was that this would be a permanent home for the Houston surveys. And we've just hired this absolutely wonderful guy. I've been working with the Rand Corporation in California for 20 years, a real expert on surveys and, and interpreting of data. And he has now joined the, the Kinder Institute and I'm taking the lead in this year's survey. He'll take the lead in next year's survey. And so it, it, we're feeling really very confident that this, the surveys will continue. And this, this, uh, these insights that the, that the surveys can provide in that way that no other city has will be, will be a source, we think, of continued uh, information and, and encouragement as, as the city moves forward. Dr. Klemberg, I've got one more kind of hard-hitting question for you. As a sociologist, I have to assume that you enjoy people watching. So what would be your favorite places in Houston to do some good people watching? Well, that's great. Well, you know, most of my knowledge of Houston comes from computer blips and analyzing data on the computer at home. In the, in the, so, but but uh, the, I mean, the parks are wonderful. I, and I, I love walking along some of the new Bayou trails and, and, and Buffalo Bayou uh, and and Houston is so beautifully endowed in a way, again, is a beautiful example. I mean, those parks did not exist and were not endowed with continued support so that, so that we become one of the greenest cities. And, 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 it's, uh, and if this was a city that was sort of built by for on behalf of the automobile, now, again, reinventing itself with more density. We asked people in our surveys, if you could live anywhere you wanted in Houston, what would you prefer? 50% now, more than 50% say I would prefer to live in a small in a in a smaller home with in, in a more urbanized area of Houston within walking distance of shops and workplaces than say I would like to live in a single family residential area, right? That that interest in walkability and in in building sort of urban centers uh, and the new density that is beginning to develop in Houston is all again a part of a reinventing of ourselves and more and more people being outside and and getting around by bicycle and and walking, and, and so it's, there's just lots of beautiful spaces in Houston that did not exist 20 and 25 years ago that, again, ought to give us some real sense of optimism about who we are as a city, what we believe in, and our willingness to make investments that honestly would have been inconceivable 30 years ago in the city. I mean, this is really now, we're a different place with a different set of, of uh, perceptions and and. and one other quick thing in our service I think I didn't mention is that the, the single most powerful predictor among Anglos of all our measures of comfort with diversity and support for immigration, the single most powerful predictor is not education, it's not gender, it's age. Younger Anglos are growing up in a world where they just take this diversity for granted. This is who we are. What's the big deal here? We older Anglos are struggling to accept when younger Anglos are taking for granted. And you can see that, again, as a powerful measure of a, new, of a city moving forward in new ways and reinventing itself uh, in the 21st century. Dr. Kleinberg, I think we've come to the end here. We're so grateful for your time and the way you discuss where this city has been, where it's going, and you, you match the data with, uh, I think, a lot of heart and the way you analyze these things and the way you talk about it. It's clear that you care deeply about where this is all going, and we're just delighted that you spent some time with us today. Oh, you've got a great pleasure and great questions, and, and thanks for all you're doing. I mean, I think all of us are 
the more we can help the general public sort of get a sense of, of what the opportunities are for the city, the, the, the better off we're all going to be. And I appreciate the work that you guys are doing. Too. Thanks, Doc. Bye-bye. CityBook and Company is a production of CityBook Media and Milieu Media Group. This episode was produced, edited, and mixed by Luke Brauner. The music you've heard in this episode was licensed from Blue Dot Sessions. Artwork is designed by Patrick McGee. You'll find links to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter in the show notes. Visit HoustonCityBook.com for the latest news and notes on the most fascinating city in America.